Everybody here? Okay. Nobody's not here. I meant hearing. Everybody here. Can everybody hear? Yes, I can. Anybody need their headphones adjusted? Mine are perfect where they are. Cody? Um, could probably go up a hair bit. Eensy bit. One hair bit right here. How's that? Yeah, perfect. Oh, uh, there we okay. go. I don't know who he's messing with it, but I don't like it. You know who it was. <laughs> it was Creep It Real. Should I openly admit something that I probably shouldn't right now? Yes. Probably. Okay, so obviously, I talked about last week I was late to the uh, Resident Evil 2 party, right? Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> so far, I've, I've went through <laughs> both playthroughs, and I've actually... Got scared like three times. Right. Ooh. Made me jump. Usually doesn't happen. Was one in the caves? Uh, actually, every single time it was. So you, I hit a switch and I didn't have the sound very loud. Right. And then a liquor like jumped on my back and it got me every oh, time. Oh, yes, 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 yes. In that tyrant, man. Oh, yeah, the tyrant's fuck. an asshole. Like, I don't. Even in uh, number seven when I was playing it, when. The dad was chasing Jack. you. Yeah, yeah, Jack, 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 yeah. I, I hate that tyrant, dude. Fuck, I Oof. hate him. I don't like anything that's like chasing me. <laughs> no. Or if I stay still for too long, it'll it'll get me. Man, that game is so good, though. Yeah. So great. I've only yeah. watched it on YouTube because I'm a coward. But <laughs> it is. It does look amazing. It's just like, uh, I, feel, I feel like, too, I understand the story a lot better. Mm. I if, I think they've modified it a little from the uh, the original PS2 one or whatever. But uh, wasn't it PlayStation One? Was it PS One? Resident Evil Two, I believe, was PS One. Yeah, I think it was. Yeah. Okay. One, two, and three were all PS One. Oh, okay. Well, I played it on sixty four. So ew, it was really? good on there. That's insane. Yeah. Did Her- the alligator come out? Yeah. Ew. Did they like redo him? that? Oh yeah. Oh, beautiful alligator. That's so scary. I remember that one video we used to watch. I think it was an Asian man, and he would like flick the controller so it barely skipped forward while he was playing because yeah. he was so scared. Yes. <laughs> well, it's terrifying. <laughs> okay, if the tyrant scares me that much in that one, then I imagine tyrant in number three remake is going to be horrific. That's the whole game. Yeah. Oh. That's the entire game is running away from. <laughs> I don't like it. <laughs> from Nemesis. Man, the tyrant looks just. I don't know he looks terrifying in that new new remake. All the characters are just beautiful. The, the only thing that's really annoying is like the zombies are borderline unkillable. Mm-hmm. And I think mm-hmm. they wanted it that way. Yeah, that's a throwback to the. I I think in those games you could actually kill them. Well, ammo was very important in yeah. the original ones. Yeah. It yeah. wasn't until Resident Evil Four where that all just went right out the window, and you can just shoot well, anyone forever. Well, the. Uh, like ammo is still important in this, obviously, but they don't have the like the hunters and stuff. I don't think they have in the remake and the old ones. The big thing was unlocking unlimited ammo with oh, yeah. the guns. It's not really a thing in the remakes. No, it's kind of sad. No, oh. you have to like beat the game with like a S plus rating oh. or something. I'm not. Ooh. I'm not that kind of Melvin. I'm not trying to do all that nonsense. And and it's like you have to beat the game in like two and a half hours oh. or something. That well, shit is you, hard. You did all Jesus. that for seven, though. Yeah. Didn't you beat all the shit for seven? But that was more reasonable. That was like four and a half hours or right. something. That other, uh, both playthroughs took me six hours each. So. Scary. Yeah. That's a scary six hours. 
It's it's fantastic though. I that's one of the funnest games I played in a long time. Hell yeah, that's so great. Good. Yes. good job. All right. Well, hello everybody. Welcome to another episode of Bumblebutt Podcast, the only podcast on the internet that uploads weekly. Who knows what it'll be about? This week is my week. Ooh. Uh, sitting across from me as ever is Jordan. Hello. Hello. How's it going, buddy? Oh, it is going good. I hear the baby flipped around. The baby flipped. He is ready to uh, make his way out of Amy, so that will probably be happening within the next two weeks. Prepare so, the birthing canal. I was gonna, I was gonna say, it sounds like the launch of a nuclear warhead or yeah. something. But I mean, that kid's gonna be a nuclear warhead. In, <laughs> That's right. In some kind of sport. That's right. I'm hoping baseball, preferably a pitcher. That's what you then, want. You want him addicted to what gets greenies. Paid. That's what gets paid. Yeah, he's gonna and then a- mom and dad can retire early off of him. He's going to be addicted to greenies. He's going to beat <laughs> women. It's mm. going to be terrible. Well, no, if he beats a woman, guess what? Dad's going to kick the shit out of him. It's baseball. Well, yeah, he's going to be way stronger than you. you ain't yeah, he's an MLB pitcher. I'm going to have that old man construction mm. toughness. Mm. He can try. You're going to mm. have those... Are you starting- I'll put the fear of God into him if he does that. Are you starting to develop like the Wild West gritty hands yet? Um... No, because I take care of my okay. skin. Ah. Right. Like, I get home from work, and it's like, you know, lotion before I shower. I let that settle in. Shower, then I put more on, and at least one more time in the so night. you are a supple boy. He's a supple. I am supple. I got my first boy. blister <laughs> in I don't even know how long because of shuffling and swinging a sledgehammer yesterday. Oh, Ooh. that's not cute, he Jordan. Was, I just saw that. Yeah, is it's not a, a cute one. No, it, it's a big one. <laughs> He's on the cut crew now. Okay, well... All right. Uh, All right. Uh, good job, Jordan. Thank you. Cody, you're next. I was going to say, I hope we see uh, Randy Johnson in our near, near future. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> He's a good old man. Good old horny dick. They're not going to make any crime in sports about Randy Johnson. <laughs> He's never done anything wrong. I don't know. I don't think no. so. He just seemed like a nice guy. I mean, I hope so. He bucked the trend. I'm sure he was addicted to amphetamines and greenies (laughs) or whatever. What's the worst thing he's ever done? Have a mullet? Yeah. Kill a bird. And that's not even bad. All right, listen. That bird was in the wrong place at the wrong time. That's the bird's fault. So uh, we've been looking. And that reminds me of my favorite pick in all fantasy everything. What things, was that? What was it? Things you wish you, you could, could do, do in yeah. sports. Oh, yeah. That was a great <laughs> draft. Cy Amundsen, his first pick was explode a bird with a pitch. Yeah, it's, I would definitely I do mean, that. And then his second one was just drill someone who called for a fair catch. <laughs> <laughs> well, he just had to play for like the uh, 70s Raiders. And That's, right. Good. Yeah. That's right. That's right. John Madden's team. Oh, I thought he was waving to me. No, he was waving to God because he's about to meet him. I mean, that's the end of your life if you get hit by a truck. Oh, fuck. Do you remember when Jordan was saying he wanted to join a, uh, what was it? Australian Rules Football That's right. League or something? Yeah. Hey, man, that shit still seems fun. Aussie Rules footy. Jordan okay. was going to join. I, it sounds like a lot of brain damage is possible. Are you well, still down with that? I mean, yeah. Okay. It One is my, a fun sport to watch. My friend Sam, who's on the curling team, uh, he used to play in one. Like, apparently there's a big community of it in the Twin Cities here. We were supposed to be getting a pro rugby league, and we were going to have a team, too. I don't know what really? the hell happened with that, though. Hmm. I, I still don't understand how rugby works, but it looks neat. I would love to learn. <laughs> I mean, I have the general gist if I'm watching it. Like, I can't explain it, but, yeah. This looks like a bunch of men. Okay, you, I, I, I know you... I want to get you pass the ball four times, 
And if you're not close enough, then you have to kick it away. Try and kick it. Yeah, and you can't pass forward. No, no, no. It only has to be back. Laterals. But you can only do, like, two or three laterals per play, I think. Yeah, and then, like, if you're wide open or whatever, but, like, you can't make it to score a touch, you can, like, basically drop kick it and uh, get it through the goalpost, and that's, like, three points or something. Oh, yeah, I, I couldn't even tell you. I have uh, no idea. And then you catch the golden snitch and the game is over. But <laughs> yeah. here's what we're going to do right now is get okay. right into this. Hell this is yeah. going to be, he's a Frenchman. Ooh. His, oh, blue. his name is Dr. Marcel Petiot. How thick is the mustache? It is not thick. He like is a clean-shaven he... man oh, until really? he gets a mustache. Okay. But, my right. gosh, you don't want spoilers at this early no, stage. No, 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 no. Now, no. this is a guaranteed two-parter, possibly as many as four, unfortunately. Ooh, okay. This man Hell was yeah. prolific. Is he? And disgusting. I've never even heard this name before, so oh. I am dead curious. How about I tell you where I heard of it? Please do. I get a message from my favorite young boy, Stiglitz, on the Instagram. <laughs> the Iowa boy. And he says, hey, why don't you check out this guy? I bet it would make a great episode. Looked it up. Never heard of it. S- heard the heard about the carnage. And I said, this is this is the way to go, Stiglitz. You've, you've saved the show again. Just I, like he did with the Wineville chicken coop murders. I didn't oh, yes. take uh, Stiglitz as being a croissant-loving man. Here's the thing. The boiled. <laughs> Who isn't a croissant-loving human being? They're so good. I, I I will openly admit I love to getting the giant pack of croissants from uh, Costco. Fuck Ooh. yeah. Perfect snack. Perfect oh, snack. Cut them in half, put some rotisserie chicken on there, you yep. gotta yourself a sandwich. You know what? You're, you sh- don't know what you should do for breakfast, don't want to cook a whole bunch of stuff, fry up an egg, throw that in there with some hot sauce and a slice of cheese, you're golden. Mm. On Bumbles, remind me, guys, to talk about what I cooked today. Okay. It was amazing. The City of Lights, Paris, Mm. the French capital. In May of 1940, there was a mass exodus from the city to a little group of guys called the Nazis invading Belgium, Luxembourg, and the Netherlands. And it didn't look like they were going to stop until they reached the Atlantic. On June 3rd, the first buildings bombed by the Luftwaffe were the Renault and Citroën factories who were major producers and innovators in the fighter plane engine game. This first air raid by the Nazis lasted a little over an hour, leaving craters everywhere and a block of apartment buildings looking like a badly cut piece of cheddar, <laughs> according to the newspaper. How can you cut a bad piece of cheddar? <laughs> I'm calling malarkey right yeah. now. <laughs> Just give me the block. I'll take a bite out of it. Gonna, you can shred it. You can thinly slice it, you can cut it in cubes, you can, you can thickly slice it. No matter what you do, you're having a great piece <laughs> of cheddar. That's true. 254 people were killed and another 652 wounded. As so, the f- Yes. So, the French were in, like, advanced fire fighter pilot uh, engine game? Is that what it is? Definitely. Renault. Okay. Or so they Renault, were... as they're called in this country. Is this still the car company? Yeah. Yes. Oh, okay. Citroen as well, yeah. I, I know, don't they're... I don't actually know how to pronounce Citroen. I just know it from Top Gear, so I'm <laughs> yep. probably saying it the British way. <laughs> Renault and Citroen, that's how they say it. That's how Jeremy Clarkson says it, so that's how I I'll thought say it was it. Renault. Yeah, well, that's what they say here, hmm. but know... it's French, so it'd be Renault. There's this one... Uh, uh, this book I've been reading, N, for my sub-D episode, there was two French names that I was struggling with. It was like Charbonneau, 
Shabana. Is that how it is? It's like I 13 letters long. Jeez. I don't, Charlemagne? I, I don't know. Pro- it's I, probably not as crazy as you think it is. It's like C-H-A-R. Uh, Charlemagne is what I'm like thinking already. It's B-A-N-N-O-E-U something another. Yeah, that'd be like Shabana. Okay. Sh- it was intense. Or, gross. or Shabano or something like that. <laughs> it was intense. As the Wehrmacht advance closer to the capital. Wehrmacht. Listen to this guy. Yeah, I know. He's Captain German, and that's <laughs> that's actually a good thing. As the Wehrmacht advance closer to the capital, basically encircling it from the north, east, and west, the outpouring of fleeing citizens reached a fever pitch. Anything with wheels was used by the populace to carry whatever they could and get the fuck out. Makes sense. Yeah. Scores of refugees struggled under the hot summer sun, blocked roads, and strafing attacks by the Luftwaffe. And after Mussolini declared war on June 10th, Italian planes were also taking shots. At the time, France had a population of 40 million. Six to ten million inhabitants were clogging the roads, trying to stay one step ahead of the occupation. Paris saw its population fall from 3 million to 800,000. Holy shit. So they're getting, like, like France at this time is getting un- is under assault from Italy and Germany. Yes, yeah. the Ooh. Axis powers, except for Japan, yeah. They're all, <sighs> and they they just got done with World War One, and they're like, we can't do uh, another round of this shit. They don't have any men left. Mm. They all died and yeah. couldn't make more men to fight this war. So, so basically, Italy is being promised a small part in the southeast region of France, mm. and then Germany's taking the rest all the way to the Channel. And there's a small part called Vichy France, Free France, uh, which is not. It's like twenty five percent of the country. Mm. Is not under occupation at this time. So Italy's getting like the Riviera. Exactly, yeah. And like Luxembourg. Okay. And like those and what else is down that way? You know, the Mediterranean <laughs> yeah. type yeah, places. Yeah, yeah. French yeah. stuff. Yeah, French and <laughs> Italian and Greek. It's all weird. A French resistance air squadron doing reconnaissance thought that the mass movements looked like the boot had scattered on the antil, sending the unfortunate souls dispersing without panic, without hope, without despair, on the march as if duty bound. That's right. Yes. Okay. Just like, everybody's yes. going yeah. everywhere. They're all, all right. just fleeing. Getting the fuck out of Dodge. This had to be a terrifying, oh, terrifying yeah place to be at this point as the nazis are just steamrolling all of europe yes the world was shocked the german army under the kaiser had failed to topple france in four years of vicious slaughter and adolf hitler did it in six weeks for nazi officers and collaborator french paris was all theirs to romp around in like their own private city for most french citizens this four-year period represented fear cold hunger and humiliation all at the hands of the germans of course, as we all know, the group of people that came out on the absolute bottom were the Jews. Immediately after the conquest was complete, and France was brought to heel by the mighty Reich, the 200,000 Jews of France lost their basic civic rights. As of October 3, 1940, they were barred from serving in positions of authority in government, education, publishing, journalism, film, and the military. By early 1941, Jews could no longer work in banking, insurance, real estate, or hotels. Jewish shops were soon to be Aryanized, which is to say, seized by the state and the ownership handed over or sold at a bargain basement rate. The aim was to eliminate all Jewish influence in the national economy. Was Okay, was that actually the word they called it? Oh, yeah. 
Really? Of course. Harry and Ice. Wow. There was no shame. This was the this was the war machine going. Okay, that's insane. There was no shame. They they knew what they were doing. On May 14th, 1941, the first raffle or roundup resulted in the arrest and internment of 3,747 innocent Jewish men. Ten months later, on March 27th, 1942, Special Train 767 left France with the first convoy of 1,112 Jews packed into overcrowded third-class cars headed for the newly opened Auschwitz-Birkenau. It would be the first of 85 total trains that would take that journey until the end of the war. When all was said and done, 75,721 Jewish men, women, and children would be deported from France to Nazi death camps in the East. Only 2,800 would return. Damn. Paris, under Nazi rule, is considered the four darkest years of the city's 2,000-year history. For many Parisians, it was a nightmare of terror and tyranny, forcing them to escape by any means necessary. And one man would ruthlessly exploit their desperation. I just gotta ask, is Parisians what they call themselves? Yes. Okay, alright. Oh yeah, and they're real rude, I guess. (laughs) Well, obviously, they've got the tiniest (laughs) cigarettes in the land. Oh my gosh, no wonder they're so angry. They're (laughs) nick-fitting all the the time. The longest stem and the tiniest cigarettes. They smoke a cigarette, but (laughs) it's not thick enough to satisfy. They can't get cancer because all that that stuff gets caught in the giant filter. All the cancer is stuck in the tube. It doesn't affect me, bro. It's going to be the uh, heart problems that get them with all the butter and wine. Oh, my hey. gosh. I just want folded pastry so bad. Oh, yeah. I th- I always thought, it, I th- I'm pretty sure it's France, but, like, their restaurants have, uh, the employees take breaks in the usual eating hours. So, like, the restaurant might be closed from, like, 2 to, or 12 to 2 or something sure. for the employees' break time. And then reopens. I always thought that was weird. Yeah, they like go home yeah. and have lunch with their families and stuff. It's it, it, Europe does things nice about. <laughs> yeah, like, I was gonna say. I mean, people. it sounds weird to us, but it makes sense. Yeah, I always thought that was. Uh, I was literally thinking about this this week, where Americans like you run into some big bro. I work sixty hours this week. What do you got? Like that's nothing to be proud no. of. That means that you have been trapped at work. Instead of, like, being home or whatever, yeah. not going insane at fucking work. Living a fulfilling life. Yes. Instead, you're toiling away for some. Why else. is that a place to be bragging about? I don't get it. I, I mean, I'm going to hate working, like, 50, 60-hour weeks this summer with a kid and whatnot. It's like, oh, it's yeah. time gonna, away from my child. You're going to go to the toughest guy at the bar and be like, bitch, <laughs> I worked 50 hours this week. No. What did you do? <laughs> <laughs> uh. March 11th, 1944. Thick black smoke had begun pouring from a two-and-a-half-story townhouse at 21 Rue Le Sueur five days earlier. But because of the unusually warm weather, it was getting worse and not dispersing, seeping through neighbors' closed windows and soiling their furniture. Jacques Marseille, one of the affected neighbors, went across the street to investigate, and he noticed that the smoke was indeed coming out of the narrow chimney. The shutters were closed, the curtains on the second floor were drawn, and no one answered after ten minutes of knocking and ringing the bell. Then on the front door, he noticed a small, weather-worn piece of paper that simply said, This is supposed to be yellow. This Jordan. Wait for a month. Forward mail to 18. Rue de la Mort. Uh, yep. Aware. Yep. 
I don't know what you said, but I'm turned on. So it's an address. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's not talking slutty to me right now. Croissant, sacre bleu. Well, my butthole is It just moistening. sounds sexual. I Omelette can't help it. I was going to say, okay, in this time period, I just imagine houses bellowing black smoke out of their chimneys, but apparently this man knows this is not normal. Yeah, this is not supposed okay. to be. Yes. I just feel like... Houses didn't have like you know proper uh, uh, ventilation and stuff, and it's just black smoke coming out of them. I think that means there's a problem. Okay, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't seem like it should be that way, but hey, they're just burning. Who am I to judge 1940s France? Yeah, that's not. Maybe our they place. had a leftover baguette that they just <laughs> threw on there. Wasn't Peaky Blinders like the all of London was just like a black cloud of yeah. smoke from and that's everybody's how they, chimneys? That's how those speckled moths were born. Oh, that really? They got covered in soot and then they like changed their whole DNA. So now they're speckled still. <laughs> Good job, London. Yep. Congrats. On the East End there. <laughs> Since no one was there and a chimney fire had been blazing unattended for the last five days, Jacques decided to go home and call the police. Moments later, two bike cops arrived on the scene, Joseph Tissier and Emile Fillon. They tried to gain access without causing property damage, but couldn't, so they began door knocking, looking for anyone that could identify the owner of the house. Did they ring their little bike bells? I was just envisioning them holding this giant, like, two-day-old uh, baguette. And they're just trying to smash the door. <laughs> Eve, oh, it's too hot for Eve, us to eat. Oh. Put some butter on the on the door frame. Maybe that will help it go. These are our new batterograms. <laughs> they didn't have to look far. Just next door, in fact, Marie Maggio, who lived at twenty three Rue Le Sueur, informed them that the townhouse was currently unoccupied, but belonged to a family physician named Marcel Pichot who actually lived at 66 Rue Calmartin, near a seedy center of strip joints, brothels, and nightclubs. Let's not oh, say seedy. Boy. This sounds like a Marcel. He's having it's a good time. It's called sex work. <laughs> yes. Tissier and Fion, with the physician's name and telephone number in hand, entered a nearby grocery store and called. A woman answered and then put Dr. Petio on the line. Tissier informed him of the fire on his property. Have you entered the building? No. Don't touch anything. I will bring the keys immediately. Fifteen minutes tops. Fifteen minutes passed. Petio was nowhere to be seen. Ten more minutes. Still nada. Biking from his apartment on Rue Carmartin at the time of night shouldn't have taken any more than ten minutes. After half an hour, the patrolmen could wait no longer and called the fire department. The captain of the fire brigade grabbed a ladder and climbed to the second floor balcony. He ripped the shutter off the house and smashed the window. The captain, along with two of his men and a flashlight, traced the smell to a small basement room. One of the two coal stoves was roaring at a fever pitch. Fireman Roger Barodi would open the furnace door. A charred human hand fell out of the furnace. On the far side of the staircase was a pile of loose debris, which ended up being a skull, rib cage, and several other recognizable bones. Arms and legs were everywhere. A split torso and two more skulls lay on the floor. The stench of decomposing and burning flesh was overpowering. Are you sure this isn't Glenn Danzing's house? <laughs> <laughs> Mother! <laughs> tell your children to stay away from my furnace! <laughs> you know what was funny? When you started this story, I was like, ooh, this guy might be like a 
a freedom fighter or something. And the second I started reading this, I'm like, why is there a fire going in his house? And he won't answer the door. And I'm like, oh. I thought he was going to be a swindler con man. Yeah, I was like, oh. He is that too. Okay, now we see what's going on here. But He's, we're going to get the best of both, both worlds. Dude, this is a Miley Cyrus for sure. <laughs> this is a Hannah Montana for sure. Fuck yeah. The horrified fire chief immediately ordered his men out of the basement. As they left, two of them vomited. I believe that your work will be cut out for you, officer, the chief told Tissier. The commotion had gathered a throng of curious neighbors. Among them was a slim, dark-haired man of medium height pushing a bike through the crowd. He was pale and clean-shaven, wore a dark gray coat with a fedora. Milady. Mm-hmm. He was dumb and sweat. <laughs> he identified himself as the brother of the owner and demanded to be taken inside. Patrolman Tissier walked back onto the scene at this point and joined the conversation between the new fedora mancer stranger and the fire chief. Are you both good Frenchmen? Of course. What kind of question is that? Then listen carefully. What you see inside are the bodies of Germans and traitors to our country. Okay. I, I accept it. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Under his breath, he asked if the higher authorities had been notified. Tisier nodded. That is a serious mistake. My life is at stake. I saw the lives of several of my friends who serve our cause. He explained he was in charge of a French resistance organization. Hell yeah, an FRO. And handed over a document <laughs> that seemed to prove it, although it was too dark to really read. And the chief and patrolman didn't want to be seen holding a resistance document on the very likely chance there was a Nazi collaborator among the crowd. While they were glancing at the paper... He reached down and picked something up, shoving it into his pocket. I have about 300 secret files and ID cards of fellow resistance members are back at my home. I must destroy them at once before they fall into the hands of the Germans. Since patrolman TCA and Fion had no desire to see that many patriotic French resistance heroes handed to the Nazis and carted off to prisons, camps, or something worse... They allowed the man to leave the scene of the crime, even though he clearly had info that would help the investigation. The patrolman also agreed not to tell their superiors about his visit, and he biked into the night. Later, when Tissier saw a picture of the doctor who owned the building, he was mortified to learn that the bikeman <laughs> had indeed been Marcel Petiot. Oh, so long, boys. <laughs> <laughs> I, re- I was just envisioning him looking at the picture and then the Curb Your Enthusiasm song. <laughs> okay, are, are these real bikes? Are they like mopeds or no, like these motorcycles. are bicycles these bicycles. are bikes. Mm-hmm. okay so we had a murderer ride a bike up to his crime scene it gets it gets weirder okay oh, fuck yeah <laughs> All right. a black citroen 11 cv pulled up to the mansion and outstepped commissioner george victor massu the chief of the brigade criminel or the homicide bureau he was whisked into the house which had a grand salon petite salon large formal dining room billiards room Library, six bedrooms, and two kitchens. God damn. He's ballin'. The first thing Masu noticed was the fine art everywhere. Most of the rooms had at least two crystal chandeliers, oriental rugs, antique furniture, full marble statues, and oil paintings in gold frames. Jesus. The second thing Masu noticed was the insane filth. The rooms were covered in thick dust, full of cobwebs, and in some cases, the furniture was turned over or just stacked in corners. Well, I mean... 
to be fair, I think Bruce Wayne's manner was like this oh. while he was training in that Asian country. So. Yeah. No, in Dark Knight 3, or Batman Begins 3, whatever it's called. The Dark Knight Rises. Right, okay. When, when, he's, a, when he's a fucking shut-in. Mm, right, right. That's and, what I'm thinking mm-hmm. of. You know, the doctor's probably just holding on to this place for... Uh, Storage? Investment. Yeah. How much are we paying the doctors at this point? It seems like a lot. <laughs> I mean, enough to have this baller of a spot. You know what's fantastic? Mm. Is we're going to cover all of that. Okay. Every single piece. Oh, fucking right. An officer warned him that once he entered the basement, he may be appalled. Massey was unfazed. He had heard this countless times. And even if it was a little yuckapucka, he's probably seen worse. He was completely taken aback when he saw it firsthand and had this to say. A foot was blackened like a log that had been slow burned. A dismembered hand, curled up tight, grasped the thin air in desperation. A woman's torso lay there, with the flesh gnawed away to reveal splinters of ribcage. The sinister odor of roasted human flesh gripped my throat. Just a couple steps away, Masu found a shovel and a dried bloody hatchet, and under the stairs he found a gray bag containing the left half of a decomposed body minus the head, foot, and organs. Massey was dumbstruck. The only thing he could compare it to was a scene from Dante's Inferno. Ooh, Damn, were they yes. that grotesque in that? Oh, man, that thing was gross. That yeah. thing okay. was gross. Play the video game. Well, I did. <laughs> I saw Satan's 12-inch cock dangling it down when I'm oh, fighting him. That thing was massive. The, uh, the, my, my favorite was the, uh, uh, unbaptized babies you mm-hmm. fight. Mm-hmm. Apparently they're all doomed for hell. So sorry, Jordan, you're going to hell. Uh, I was bad. I was baptized. I was oh, not. I'm the one that's going to hell. You're going to hell. That's What's correct. the age limit for unbaptized babies? When they're like, you're a 30-year-old unbaptized baby. I wonder if you're still going there. I think as long as you convert and get <laughs> baptized, you'll be yeah. fine. You can get baptized anytime you want. That's true. I watch a lot of NFL players I'm just going to spit some beer on you, Cody. <laughs> yeah. Is that the Wisconsin baptism? That's right. Exploring the property further, they discovered his medical office in an outbuilding. It was pristine, with a waiting room, exam room, and hidden near the bookcase was a door that led down a long, narrow corridor, ending in a small room covered with hooks and chains, and with only a false door on the far side of the room. Retracing their steps, they entered the old carriage house, which had been converted to a garage crammed with all the shit you'd find in a garage. I mean, we You know, we got the old lawnmower over <clears throat> here, mm-hmm. and dog kennel that we haven't used because you know old old rover he died about 10 years ago or shoes and shit i say let's bring back carriage houses all right yeah let's uh, get rid of all uh, fuck your prius yeah let's ride a horse yeah much more i would be so down well you need a stable if you have a carriage house so we're gonna need more property (laughs) already i feel like feeding a well number one buying a horse is probably as much as a Prius, anyway. probably. Then feeding the goddamn thing. I'd rather buy gas. Yes. I mean, I I feel like you could buy a horse for a couple hundred bucks. Ah, I don't. It's, think it's so. not going to be a race horse, well, but it's we, just going to be a horse. You could probably buy like a three-legged horse for that. Maybe it's got like a, a robotic leg or something. We could ask or Jenna. Like a, okay, yes. Well, she has nice horses. Yeah. Oh yeah. Maybe that's a problem. We I, can't. We can't get her to get, we, sell us a I three-legged. Gar- I can almost slot. guarantee her horses are worth more than Jordan's. 
Most likely. Like, you Most could get likely. There's a lot money. of things that are worth more than my life. <laughs> like this little statue right here, that camera. <laughs> to be fair, that's a 1080p HD camera. Yeah, yeah it's, it's definitely worth more than my life. <laughs> a sliding door at the back of the garage led to another building, probably the former stable. It was here next to a pile of rusty iron under a metal cover where the most horrifying discovery was made. Ooh. A double-sided dildo. <laughs> It was the entrance to a pit. Oh. A freshly greased pulley with hook and thick rope hung over the hole. The smell pouring out of the pit left no doubts as to what was inside. Brave Commissioner Masu climbed down the wooden ladder and landed in the middle of a mix of quicklime and decomposing bodies in varying stages. Ugh. This was his dumping ground. I don't know if I'd want to be getting that lime all over me. I Ugh. mean, this is a very elaborate way to hide bodies it's nuts well he's a doctor so he knows what to do mm -hmm. clearly well yeah but the fact that he made an underground system <laughs> i mean like dug tunnels and all of that it's just like god damn i i feel like, like brutos just threw him off a bridge with mm -hmm. you know a cylinder head <laughs> fucking tied to him well i especially during this time like people uh, minus the Nazi invasion, like, they weren't really paying attention to what you were doing. True. And people could go missing, and they wouldn't even think twice about it, so... They didn't have helicopters. No. That's the problem. So, Masu decided to go home for the night. Don't get me wrong, he wanted to drive to Pichot's apartment on Rue Camartain and find the bastard, but a pesky French law dating back to December 13, 1799, prohibited the police from barging in on citizens in the night unless there was a fire, flood, or invite from the residents. Mm. Okay, so they... I wonder what clair, like what time was night, technically. Like, just when the sun goes down, or... Yeah, I, I think, wonder. I think there's a, there is a time. I didn't look it up. Can you imagine, if this was a law right now, how many, like, house parties there would be? Like, you couldn't oh, do anything. Oh, yes, You yes. just raise hell yeah. all night yeah. and then worry about it in the morning. This law was put in place to stop the late-night arrests that occurred during the Reign of Terror, an awful 11-month period where over 1,700 people were guillotined for being against the revolution. Ah. Was that like some Marie Antoinette <clears throat> time stuff? Exactly that. Okay. They okay. were two of them. Louis XVI and Marie Antoinette were two of them. Two of the 1,700. The, uh, I know this is kind of an inappropriate question, but how often do you have to change the blade on a gu guillotine? Dude, I really don't know. Like, think, okay, think I mean, about... it's probably heavy, so you don't have to have, like, a super sharp point. It's just got a bludgeon its way yeah. through. I it's mostly the weight doing the job there. Yeah. Okay, okay. I was, I was just thinking about, like, uh, let's take a razor blade. You use it twice, it's dull. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And True. you're going to need to constantly keep sharpening that guillotine. True. I it's mean, probably yeah. just, like, a big axe head, for <laughs> lack of a better Well, you have to sharpen to those, too. You have to sharpen. Oh yeah, you but human, an axe human flesh is soft, and like to get through bones, you need force, not sharpness. Mm. I'll take sharpness though too. Yeah, I'll take both if you're gonna <laughs> whack my head off. You'd hate for that thing to stop like halfway. One slice, please. Mm, yeah. There was another reason Masu didn't simply post units outside the residence, as was the usual course of action when you were looking for someone in the middle of the night. You see, the commissioner suspected that the mansion was being used by the Gestapo. The secret German police. The Gestapo had recently taken control of the French internal affairs, and they had literally a license to kill without repercussion. The French police, of course, had no authority over them or any of their activities. There was no appeal. There was no remorse. 
His reasoning was sound. The Gestapo and higher-up Nazi intelligence officers preferred to set up their offices in Paris's fancy-schmancy 16th district. And literally every other building around was either a known Gestapo HQ or was flying a swastika. Although Massu's hunch that this butcher shop of horrors on Rue Le Sueur was somehow related to the Nazis, he had some nagging doubts. The most important problem, he had not been warned off the site. If somehow local police were to stumble into a Gestapo kill factory, they would immediately be told off if not killed or imprisoned. Okay, I see. Okay, oh. so they don't even think this... At this point, they don't even think it's actually one person. No. They think, okay. They either think it's French Resistance or Gestapo. That's I, like, I mean, to be fair, it sounded like there was a lot of bodies there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's probably what you would think. Mm-hmm. I and, mean, he was wading, like, through a well of body gunk. <laughs> Here's the other thing I'm thinking is, from looking in hindsight now, I feel like this man had to be killing well before... Uh, the Germans invaded, judging by the amount of bodies. Yeah. Unless he got them really fast. I this don't was know. 1944, so, so we jumped four years in the future. But I'm I'm saying, it sounds like a lot of bodies. I it mean, does. I guess maybe he's doing think about, it really fast. Think about, all, think about what we talked about, though. There were three million people in Paris, and now there's 800,000. A lot yeah. of those people, where are they? Nobody knows where they are, where True. they're supposed to be. That is a. It's okay. kind of a perfect storm. It's, right. The fire's warm. A perfect storm. Dicks and balls and beers, my friend. I didn't even know that was a saying. It's not. Dick and balls and beers. Dicks okay. and balls and beers. I'm gonna start saying it. <laughs> well, he didn't have to wait long to see how the Germans would spin it. At 10 a.m., the German-controlled radio Paris announced the gruesome discovery at the house on Rue Le Sueur. But Joe has fled Paris. And will likely return to the terrorist band's resisting occupation, where he will resume his position as the chief of medicine. Can I just say, Jordan, good job, number one. Number two, that was the most polite German man I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> he was not screaming. You he gotta has, be yelling. He's yeah. a newsman. Okay. You have to be nice as a newsman. <clears throat> I think they yell on the news, too. These broadcasts made it seem like Petio was an outlaw rebel hero opposing the Third Reich. This opened up another cabinet of worms for Masu. A ton of the officers wouldn't be working their hardest to find someone they idolized. Dr. Marcel Andre Henri Felix Petio. <laughs> Holy <laughs> fuck, that's a name. <laughs> We're going from like French to French to French to probably Latin to French. Yeah. He seemed a nice, friendly family physician with a flourishing practice. His beautiful wife, Georgette Lablay Petio, was 39, brunette, and brilliant. The couple were amazing and loving to their baby boy, Gerhard George Claude Felix, who was just shy of his 16th birthday when the body part parade was discovered at Rue Le Sueur. I mean, how much can you really love your kid if you name him that? It's a big name. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Petio's father, Felix Irene Mustiol, <laughs> was the head of the local postal and telegraph office. Okay, that's nice. He was a hard worker, but incredibly cold and distant. He wanted both Marcel and his younger brother Maurice to follow in his footsteps and join the postal service, but Marcel had this to say. I have no interest in wasting away in an office waiting for old age. I need uh, something greater. Okay, so his ambition's good. So far. 
His ambition is there. Yeah. He's, he's yeah. looking to he's looking to hit the books, hit the streets, and get to work, but not in a goddamn office. Maybe he just didn't like like the sh- extremely short short shorts his dad had to wear. Oh yeah. I imagine See, my balls they plop out. I imagine the French wear even tighter ones than Americans do, so And as Jordan was saying about the balls mm. popping out, they don't manscape over there. So they Why got, would you? They got big fur diapers coming out the bottom of their <laughs> yeah. shorts. It, it's a sign of dominance. Mm. <laughs> Young Marcel Pichot, it is said now in local legend, liked to capture insects and pull off their legs and heads. He would grab baby birds from nests and poke their eyes out, Aww. all while laughing as they screeched. Then he would watch them starve to death. Yeah. Not even the family cat was safe. One night, his mother was preparing to wash clothes. She put a tub of water on the stove and went to get the laundry. When she came back, Petio was holding the cat by the neck and trying to dip his paws in the boiling water. Jesus. You know, I saw one of the most disgusting videos ever, and it's not involving humans. It was a woodpecker pecking the brains out of, like, a sparrow. That's oh, awesome. Yeah, I've seen like, that. you've seen that? That yeah. shit... Is so disturbing because the sparrow's still alive and it's like pecking the top. Oh, I don't know. It's that's great. Oof, that's funny. That was it's a hard one. And to there watch. was another like I think it was a bird thing or something like that that Amy saw on Instagram. I think it might have been flamingos or something, but it looked like one of them was like eating the brains out of the other one. <laughs> but it wasn't. Birds. It was just kind of like biting the back of its head or whatever like on the skin and like controlling is the weirdest shit ever (laughs) but it wasn't hurting it yeah oh uh it was the most fucked up thing i need to try and find that and send it to you guys one of the most badass videos i've seen so they're watching it looks like it looks like two hawks or something i don't some bird like that and you see these little eyeballs okay in the distance and all of a sudden, it's coming down, comes up, and this giant fucking owl mm. grabs one of the birds and fucking takes off. <laughs> oh, yeah. And then the other bird's just like, what the fuck just happened, man? What just Dude, happened? owls are fucking ruthless. <laughs> yeah. They're hunters. He, he had a nice dinner, then. The next morning, after his mother tried to teach him a lesson about empathy by having him sleep with the cat, she awoke to find the boy covered in scratches and bites, and the cat had been smothered to death. Oh... He's a bit of a sick little freak at this mm. point, and his favorite books were about Jack the Ripper, Henri Ladrou, the blue beard of Gambe, who killed seven of his wives, and Dr. Crippen, a famous doctor who was hanged for murdering his wife. Okay, Dr. Crippen. Okay, I never he, heard of that He's Crip guy. walking out the door. I mean, this he just loves cr- true crime. Mm. Isn't that why we're here? I mean, I mean technically, yeah. yeah. In school, he was a troublemaker. He was highly intelligent and therefore easily bored in the classroom. He would bring porn to school and love talking about the sex lives of famous people. Okay, to be fair, I feel like sex, like in Europe, sex is like how we have violence here. True. So it's yeah. maybe that's not that big of a deal. Mm, the, here's the thing: he <laughs> okay. talked about sexually abhorrent behavior, which at this they time, didn't like that. At this time, okay. it's homosexuality, and that's no good. Okay, all right. He spoke with relish about how Julius Caesar and Alexander the Great were homosexual, and his favorites were Chevalier Dion, the transvestite fencer and spy who dazzled 18th century French noblemen. That guy sounds kind of cool, to be honest with you. Definitely. And I looked it up. 
In this case, transvestite is not offensive because okay. he was never actually trying to look like a lady. He was definitely a man in woman's clothes and makeup. Okay. All right. All right. So he's just extra handsome. Mm-hmm. Okay. The only quote-unquote-unquote-unquote <laughs> friend Petio had in school was a boy who let him throw knives at him like a circus act and used his hand to play five-finger filet. Oh, yeah. I, I feel like he's got his Jordan. <laughs> oh. He's got his Jordan here. He's, he's got That's his Charlie. Right. I know you would let us throw knives at you, wouldn't you? I probably. I mean, <laughs> go back a year, probably a little a more year. than a year. Yeah. Now you're basically a- before I met Amy, I would probably let you throw knives at me. Okay. I'm not gonna lie. Well, I. But, can- but now me- it's not about me. True. It's about the family. That's right. So, but I when can- you're here, your family. Can anybody? Can anybody here actually throw a knife? I, I can't. No, no. I can't. Not no. not consistently to make it stick. How no. about an axe, Jordan? I feel like you're like a hatchet. Guy. I've been axe throwing once, and it's it's very easy. I was going to say because the because of the weight of it. That's it exactly it. Goes in like, there, yeah. you just figure out how many <laughs> rotations it has to do before it hits the board, right? Well, you just figure out like when you need to release it because hmm. like the first five I threw were just god awful, and then I figured out like oh I need to release release it like right here instead of like right here or whatever and yeah i was just like hitting the bullseye constantly oh you gotta go over the head yeah you like bring it back and you let it go like right there they're heavy axes okay i mean they're heavy hatchets okay okay Mm. all right well we you can throw them one-handed i just remember morgan freeman in seven when he just keeps throwing knives at the dartboard. Mm, I always mm, wanted that. Mm-hmm. Thought he that was a would wizard. be fucking dope, too. I, I thought he was movie. a wizard or something. But. I love that fucking movie. One classmate remembers Peccio sometimes took a gun to school and would show it off to the other kids. He was eventually expelled for bringing the gun in the classroom and shooting it into the ceiling. Or a desk pop, as it's known. <laughs> what? <laughs> oh, Wait, that's a desk pop it, it was known? Well, so that was a common thing? No, that's from... Have you ever seen The Other Guys? No. Okay. Oh, yes, Listen, I have. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Desk pop. You got to do your first desk pop. <laughs> Just like, all right, kids, we're going to go through multiplication tables. Two times two is... <laughs> <laughs> but no matter how fucked up this kid was, his baby brother Maurice would remain close with Dr. Petio their entire lives. Ooh. After being expelled from a few more schools, he eventually received his diploma on July 10th, 1915, and shipped right off for the army. Okay, he's he's right in the action, then, right? Oh, yeah. Listen, yeah, okay. he's good at shooting straight up in the air, so those enemy planes stood no <laughs> chance. Just pretend those are desks over there. That's You're right. Fine. <laughs> On January 11th, 1916, he began basic training, and ten months later, he was on the Western Front. Oof. He was on the line for four brutal months of nonstop bombing, artillery shellings, poison gas, and close-range vicious fighting. One ambulance driver on the battlefield estimates that the French were losing 100 men a minute. Jesus. On May 20th, 1917, in a trench, Petio was wounded. A hand grenade tore a three-inch gash through his left foot. This wound was incredibly suspect. A grenade thrown into a trench would explode upwards, not downward into his foot. One soldier claimed Petio had wounded himself by throwing a grenade in a pipe and putting his foot in front of the opening. Oh, oh. why would? You, oh God! Why would you do that? I, okay, I, I said that now. I'm like, well, that's probably better than sitting in a trench. Oh. Shoot yourself in the foot. 
They probably won't let you go for that. No, they'll be like, that's <laughs> obvious. You shot yourself. <laughs> Once pulled back from the front, his mental illness was now combined with shell shock, PTSD mm. for the snowflake generation. <laughs> <laughs> Let's keep in mind you're being sarcastic. <laughs> yes, about of course. That. Of course. Boys. Okay. He couldn't sleep or eat, had unbearable headaches and vertigo, lost weight, and would tremble and startle at the slightest noise. He would also begin sobbing uncontrollably and suffered bronchial complications, both likely from a poison gas attack. Okay, so we're... Okay, so clearly I didn't really know... Uh, can you... I wonder how much of the poison gas you'd like inhale so it's not fatal. You know what I'm saying? Not much. Probably, but there's a ton of dudes that came back with, I mean, even the gas masks at the time, I don't think they kept everything out. No, I've watched um, Wonder Woman. I know how they work. (laughs) (laughs) The documentary Wonder Woman. (laughs) That one guy's got gas that like crumples a fucking gas mask. Hey, I started watching Legion. Mm. That show's pretty fucking good. I've heard that, actually. I didn't even know he was an (laughs) X-Man. The head of the medical team diagnosed Pecho with mental disequilibrium, neurasthenia, depression, melancholia, obsessions, and phobias. Well, I, we all have phobias and obsessions. Yeah. Come on. That's true. Mine's masturbating. <laughs> wait, wait, hold on. Is that a phobia or an obsession? Both, my friend. Okay. So you, you love jerking out, but you're also terrified He just of it. screams yes. the entire time. <laughs> yeah. Why are you doing this? <laughs> it's, it's definitely unhealthy. <laughs> Over the last two years of the war, Petio spent his time in clinics, barracks, mental asylums, and military jail, mostly for theft. He was accused of stealing army property like blankets and morphine, as well as personal effects like wallets, pictures, and love letters. Hey, okay, I understand the morphine. What's with the blankets? I mean, yeah, I was going to say, can they really be that upset about the blankets? (laughs) (sighs) I mean, all I can think about is in Band of Brothers when they're in Bastogne and it's fucking cold Mm. and they don't have winter wear. Right. That's World War Two. So I'll I'll be fair. I would have loved. I'm naturally curious. I would have loved to have read some of these uh, GI's love letters. Oh, you can look it up online. Really? There's a whole website where they have like letters published and. My dearest Paulette. I don't want to say translated, <laughs> but they definitely wrote different back then, for sure. Oh, yeah. But I imagine the French letters were very romantic. Mm. I cannot wait to uh, have a croissant while you, while I, you give me a French blowjob. <laughs> mm. mm. Wait, what's the difference between a normal one mm. and a French one? A French blowjob is anal. Ah, okay. <laughs> it's like a regular blowjob, but it's your asshole. Um... <laughs> Get some of your special chocolate <laughs> on my croissant. One and then night. you get to my, my blue cheese. Ugh, <laughs> gross. You got moldy jizz. <laughs> One night, a soldier remembers walking into his barracks only to find Petiot stretched out on a cot reading a book by candlelight. The soldier recognized both the book and candle as his own. Here, what is yours is mine. Even though he was a little rat bastard, every unit he got shuffled into began eating like kings. Dried sausage every night, accompanied by cheeses, candy, wine, and sometimes even elaborate cakes, which were no doubt spoils of nightly pillaging sessions. Mm. That same soldier would later ask him about the morality of theft. Petiot was argued that it was completely natural. How do you think that the great fortunes and colonies have been made? By theft, war, and conquest. 
It is the law of the jungle always. Morality has been created for those who possess so that you do not retake the things gained from their own rapines. I mean, technically, he's he not is wrong. Right. He's yeah. not wrong, but he's still a rap bastard, and history is written by the winners. True. 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 1918. The war is over. Hooray! Oh, yeah. Petiot spends the next three years institutionalized at both military hospitals and civilian mental asylum. He was diagnosed this time as suffering from mental imbalance along with sleepwalking, melancholia, depression marked by a tendency towards ideas of persecution and suicide. I feel like melancholia huh. doesn't sound that bad. It doesn't even exist anymore, does it? <laughs> I think that just means you're complacent, isn't it? <laughs> I thought that, that, I don't know if that's still a medical term or not. That might be like shell shock where they've, mm. they've upgraded it to a better thing. Uh. <clears throat> It is funny because basically outside of uh, wetting the bed, he has serial killer tendencies. He wet the bed until he was 13. Right. So He did. Oh, I he did? Yeah, I didn't put that in. He put. He he's wet the bed pee- until he was 13. boy. Mm-hmm. Okay. Killing animals. Mm-hmm. And uh, I guess fire. I'm sure he set plenty of fires on the war front. I bet, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. But, Stealing, uh, theft, bedwetting. Theft, yeah. yeah. So... I can only imagine that a mental asylum at this point was not great. It would be like American Horror Story Season 2. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Oh. oh, God. Not good. Well, by 1922, the state had had enough of trying to rehabilitate Marcel, so they shoved him out into the real world with 50% disability, and wouldn't you know it, using basically the GI Bill of the time, he was accepted into an accelerated course intended to help veterans readjust to civilian life. He had been accepted into the University of Paris's medical school. Hey, you know what? I guess he's living his best life. Whew. But I don't know how you. How? I don't know how you spend most of your life in a mental asylum and then get to become a doctor. Hey, people change, man. That's true. I was. I'm. I'm curious. Like, how does this country have money for this? To pay all of them that? Who? They had so many casualties. I mean, it's baguette money. It's baguette money, for sure. And most of their men were dead, so there's more money to go around. (laughs) And this is probably when the novel Ratatouille, the animated film, is based off of came out. I believe so. And the sequel, Mouse Hunt. Yes. Mm. (laughs) After four short years, December 15th, 1926, he received his degree with honors, presenting his thesis titled, A Contribution to the Study of Acute Progressive Paralysis, which was later called into question by the Board of French Medicine, who called the short 26-page document very average. That's a very French insult. Hey, man, that's better than calling it bad. <laughs> True. I was just saying, that's a very French insult, right? Mm-hmm. What even is he talking about with acute progressive paralysis? There is some kind of disease that's also named after a doctor that he brings up. It's mm. like Lang- Langelier's disease, Langley's disease, something like mm. that. I feel like I've heard that before. Hmm. You sure you haven't heard of the delectable Stephen King's movie? The Langoliers? <laughs> yeah. All, all fucking nine hours of it? <laughs> is that how long it is? Oh, it's so long. It's a miniseries, right? Uh, Wasn't it like a three-part? I, I found out The Stand is free on YouTube if you want to watch six hours of the The miniseries? Yes. I love that one. I it's fucking good. love that okay. one. I've heard it's good. Got John, Patrick Starr and the you know John Stamos in it, right? No, no, Rob Lowe. Rob Rollo, that's who it is. And yeah. it has Patrick Starr and the assistant coach from Coach, the guy who's oh, dumb. Oh, yep. 
We don't care about anybody but Coach. I don't want to hear about assistant. Listen, man, we only that care in, about Coach. That entire show was great. Coach was, was good. He was a very wise man. Modern day Oracle, I call him. Mm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The 25-year-old veteran and newly minted Dr. Petiot set up his first medical practice about 75 miles southeast of Paris in a small town called Yon. Petiot had chosen this location because there were only two doctors in the town, and both were elderly. This was one of Petiot's advertisements. <clears throat> Dr. Petiot is young, and only a young doctor can remain up to date on the latest methods, born of a progress which marches with giant strides. Using a little war thing in there, I like it. It's, yeah, it's very, beautiful. Very, very good. By all accounts, he was a kind, courteous, and charming doctor. He would open his office on Sundays to treat workers who were unable to break away from their jobs. Hell yeah. He would make house calls. He gave discounts to older and poorer patients. And most of the time, waived the fees entirely for them. Veterans of the war would pay much less, if anything. Petio became known as the worker's doctor or the people's doctor. Oh, okay, so this is good. This is good so far. He became the hit of Jan, driving around in a hot new Renault. Becoming a yeah. Becoming a regular at the Hotel du Dauphin, singing, sculpting, painting, playing chess. One year, he even won the town checkers tournament. Attaboy. You know he got laid after oh, that. God, fucking you know king he did. Then he just looked over, <laughs> found the uh, hottest piece of ass in the crowd, and was like, "I'm gonna fucking." You king know you he later. was getting. You know he was getting jerked off under that fucking chess table. It's the only way he could win. <laughs> Too much adrenaline, man. He had to get it pumped <laughs> yeah. out by a hot young vixen. <laughs> of course, there were growing concerns about the brash young doctor. Apparently, back in these days, advertising as a doctor was considered a big no-no mm. by his colleagues. Pharmacists were worried about Petio's tendency to prescribe strong, unorthodox medications. Huskies! Dr. Paul Mayode called them. <laughs> Petio replied that drug companies and pharmacists had been diluting their medication to increase profits. And this forced him to strengthen the dosage to obtain the attended effect. Perfect. It makes perfect sense. Mm -hmm. I like the sound of how he runs things. Mm -hmm. You know what? Actually, uh, from our Brinkley series. Oh, yeah. Uh, the advertising thing was a big no-no. Even in America. Yes. Wow. Absolutely. Uh, because he was one of the first ones who did it, too. Well, he and owned was, a radio station, yeah, so. I mean, that was a very big no-no. Man. Now they're, like, in your face. Oh, about now it. they have fucking commercials. <laughs> yeah. Besides, lowly pharmacists have no right to criticize medical treatment ordered by a licensed physician. A pharmacist once refused to fill one of Petio's prescriptions, claiming that the dosage he was prescribing a child was enough to kill an adult. Petio's alleged response was absolutely chilling if he was serious as his detractors claim he had been. Isn't it better to do away with this child who does nothing but annoy his mother? I mean, can you argue with that? If the kid's being a sick little <laughs> dickhead. He's got a point. Okay, think of the documentary Problem Child. Oh, yes. I often right do there. think of that documentary. There, this guy would have saved him. Or. Let's see if this kid's wait, got the balls. What's the other one with, with Macaulay? Ah, uh, Party the good Monster. Son. The Good Son. Oh, The Good uh, Son, yes. Ooh. Or the movie Orphan. Orphan! See? That was actually an adult woman pretending to be a child, but... Still hot. Yes. No. <laughs> <laughs> Based on everything we know about the steal-first and hoard mentality that Petio has, why on earth would he offer so many discounts and waive so many fees in his practice? 
Dr. Peccio had found a way to beat the system, which made him so, so horny. Peccio was signing all of his patients up for public assistance without their knowledge and being reimbursed by the state. Everyone was added to the social register, and the people's doctor was receiving double payment for his services. Okay. <laughs> Smart move, I guess, if he's rigging the system. That's genius. <clears throat> Let's hop on back to March 12th, 1944, okay? All right. All right. The first printed account of the gruesome 21 Rue Le Sewer scene was printed in Paris Midi, which managed to get the few facts that were known at the time completely wrong. <laughs> uh, according to the report... Employees of a gas company were investigating a gas-like odor, entered the building, and discovered the charred remains of two bodies in the boiler. The report went on to also falsely claim that a bunch of homeless people were found on the property, and it was certainly one of them that started the fire. I had to we be. We didn't start the fire. fire. <clears throat> it's always been burning since the world's been turning. <laughs> Meanwhile, four men continued sifting out and collecting the remains from the lime pit. Massu's assistants and lab rats were too horrified to do it, so the commissioner hired grave diggers from Passy Cemetery. Oh, you know damn well the grave diggers are all about this. Like, this might go. as well be a ball pit for them. Mm, they're just throwing <laughs> bones they, around. But they just dive in headfirst. <laughs> Scrooge McDuck in it. In yeah. <laughs> With the news reports and constant police activity outside the home, it was an obvious place for the community to gather and be near the action. Luckily, they were interested in talking to the police, and a nearby concierge described how Peccio would always enter and depart the property from his courtyard, always on a bicycle with a cart in tow. He would always glance nervously around him to make sure no one was watching. Mm, was this like, uh, like a, why can't I think of what he put on a motorcycle that someone rides Sidecar? In? Sidecar. Was it like mm -hmm. a sidecar cart, or was it like... The ones where people put their kids yeah. in it. Yeah, like a toe behind. Yeah, Like toe behind. Mm -hmm. okay. Another neighbor separately confirmed this, saying that the man came almost daily and usually wore a beret and workmen's clothes. It's trustworthy. His cart was usually filled with furniture, works of art, and items of value, but sometimes it was impossible to tell what he was hauling. It sounds like, to me, an early 2000s college student who's, like, now a hipster and mm -hmm. probably has Depeche Mode playing mm -hmm. on his little bicycle. Yeah. And he's, <laughs> he's like, going around. He's like, I just got to pop over to the grocery and I'll put my bags in my in my cart, bro. <laughs> we need to start a resistance, bro. Resist the occupation, man. Resist the man. man. I got <laughs> Resist <the> Monsanto. <laughs> I got Depeche Mode, bro. What else do I need? Masu and his detectives went over the property with a fine-tooth comb powdering for fingerprints on every exposed surface. In one of the buildings out back of the courtyard, police found a second, smaller pile of lime, and it too was filled with bones. All over the mansion, detectives found workmen's clothes soiled with lime. In the entrance was a darkly stained suitcase that contained a nail file, eyelash brush, and 11 pairs of women's shoes. The dark stains on the suitcase were blood, of course. So we're getting Brutus in here with his... With his <laughs> High heels. No, these Ooh. are clearly his victim stuff, right? Yeah, well, just mean, like Brutus. Maybe they work well, together. Okay, but Brutus used those things. Well, yeah. who's saying sure. the doctor does? I, we don't know okay. yet, do All right, all right. In Peccio's consulting room, police found a Czechoslovakian-made gas mask, which they concluded was used as protection against the odors of the cadavers as he transported them to the stove. Agents discovered a black satin dress still scented with women's perfume. Another officer uncovered a small, round, old-fashioned woman's hat, and at the same time, Masu discovered a woman's nightgown with the initial T monogrammed on the front, 
as well as a man's gray dress shirt with the red embroidered KK, which someone had tried to remove. Clearly, <sighs> Kevin Klein. Oh my God. <laughs> Who's Kevin Klein? <clears throat> Uh, am I thinking of Chris Klein, maybe? Calvin Klein? Maybe. I'm mixing Chris Klein and Calvin Klein. <laughs> yeah. It could be together. Chris Cluey. Both of which would, all of them would be a CK. CK, yeah. Well, shut up. Yeah. Anyway, so clearly it makes no, uh, it doesn't surprise me that a Czechoslovakian gas mask also includes protection against cadavers. Mm, yeah. It There's seems a lot like of... If you need a mask to stop the stench of rotting corpses, it better be a Czechoslovakian gas mask. Look no further than the Czechs. <laughs> I, I always say that. Why is that word so long and complicated? Well, it's the Czech Republic now. Mm. Yeah. See, I like that much better. Yeah, it's easier. <laughs> Czechoslovakian. <laughs> the find that would underline the sheer extent of human tragedy we are dealing with here was concealed in a cupboard. 22 toothbrushes, 22 bottles of perfume, 22 combs and pocket combs, 16 tubes of lipstick, 15 boxes of face powder, and 36 tubes of assorted makeup, mascara, and other beauty products. Okay, so far this just sounds like modern Any ladies, woman's, yeah, yeah battle makeup station. cabinet. Mm -hmm. Does Amy have this much stuff? No, Amy, like, she really doesn't wear makeup. Okay, I don't right. like. Anytime you've met her, she might have put on mascara. In Except for the it. wedding. Okay, how about... Uh, she? Yeah, she did go get that. You gotta, you gotta look good at the wedding. Okay, how about the Druid Boys pre-show? Oh, all, all of these I personally use. <laughs> yes. Okay, alright. There were also ten scalpels, nine nail files, eight hand mirrors, eight ice bags, seven pairs of glasses, six powder puffs, five cigarette holders five gas masks, four pairs of tweezers, two umbrellas, a walking cane, a pen knife, a pillowcase, a lighter, and one woman's bathing suit. Still, still just normal women's uh, right. makeup cabinet material here. I, I, I don't see anything weird If I so see far. less than five gas masks <laughs> at a makeup cabinet, I'm, I get furious. Well, the five cig, cig holders. That's always there. Gotta have them. Clearly... Petio enjoyed killing women and hoarding their stuff. Massey was concerned now that not only had Petio killed all these people, but now possibly sexually assaulted and tortured them before they died. The question became even more charged when police found something else at 21 Rue Le Sewer. Two sets of human genitals preserved in jars of formaldehyde. Oh, okay, you're not revealing the gender yet. Huh? Absolutely not. Okay. We'll pick that up in Dr. Marcel Petio Part 2. Fuck yes. This is, I'm like, this, your episode has just riddled me with mystery. Like, I'm so curious. We kind of know what is, is the remains of his uh, murders and whatever, but I don't really understand why his motive and everything yes so it's uh i've never heard of this guy if i'm being honest yeah. with you well you can thank stiglitz okay well, he's the man is he an expert on french history or what i guess <laughs> i mean shit the guy's a the guy's a tour de force as far as well, knowing about good cases i know hell yeah is a very french saying hell yeah. so <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, clearly he must be a connoisseur hell yeah Hell yeah. Well, <laughs> if you think that's awesome, just like we do, you can email us at bumblebuttpodcast at gmail.com. What's it, Adam? Bumblebuttpodcast at gmail.com. As always, follow us on Twitter at bumblebuttpod and Facebook and Instagram at bumblebuttpodcast. Now it's time for the most important part of the show, at least if you ask Cody, the iTunes reviews. 
Okay, now I cannot remember specifically if we got one new one or two new ones, but we're going to pretend like we got two new reviews. It looks like we got two based on... so, yeah, one written and one unwritten. So, anyway, uh, we'll read the written one here. I'm going to be honest. I have no idea how to pronounce this name here. (laughs) It looks harder than Czechoslovakian. Um, But it says, Dinosaur, five stars, and the comment is, rawr. I love it. <laughs> we got our first non-human review hey, from a dinosaur. This, I, I don't know how he typed rawr with his little long nails and uh, claws and everything, but yeah. thank you, Miss Di- Mr. Dinosaur. Thank you, Miss or Mr. Dinosaur. Right, yes. we don't want to assume anything. That's a, that's a um, huge help. <laughs> Jesus, that is an awesome review. <laughs> you remember when you, you hear shows be like, it doesn't matter what you type. This is literally, doesn't matter what you yeah, can type anything you want, please. And it makes me incredibly happy. I mean, yeah. we we know it's a positive RAR. Mm. Certainly, it's five-star RAR. There's no negative RARs, I'm fairly well, certain. Well, I mean, I feel like there could be like a RAR. <laughs> One-star. <laughs> well, they were a five-star, so thank Fuck you yeah. very much. Yes. yes, I love five-stars. So nice. They make me fucking horny. <laughs> uh, now it's time for the most important part of the show, at least if you asked Jordan, oh, the Patreon. That's right. And you can go there at patreon.com slash podcast. Join at any level. We'll love it. If you uh, still have uh, four more days when this posts to get a hand-drawn card from me, if you sign up by the 28th of May. Can you say it like Ben Stiller in Happy Gilmore? What does he say? This is some handcrafted shit here. Oh my gosh! This is when some he's handmade running. shit yeah. we got here. Oh, you! Oh, are your fingers sore? <laughs> Adam's fingers are definitely sore. So you make them sore yes. by getting some of these. And uh, we're gonna be. I'm gonna start looking for. Uh, our next read-along or whatever. Fuck yeah. So we, sh- we should do that pretty soon. I think it's been almost a month since we dropped that last one. So we got to so. get that out. Uh, that'll probably be in the next few weeks. So Get us another Patreon episode. That'll be fun. Make uh, these people want to be our friends. On Between the Bumbles, let, I'm, I'm going to have a very juicy story about that book that oh, we yeah. read. Yes, I was oh. in an awkward predicament. I, uh, I still yesterday. haven't heard part two. Oh, well, guess what? You got to become a Patreon. That's member. right. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think we can hook you up. <laughs> all right. All right, everybody. Buy a shirt. Uh, email us, you know, all that stuff. And that'll do it for all of us here at Bumblebutt Podcast. My name is Adam. Thank you very much. That has been Jordan. Thank you, Jordan. Thank you, Adam. That has been Cody. Thank you, Cody. Thank you, Adam. And thank you, everyone. And as always, have a nice weekend. Unless it's Tuesday. I'm going to be gone real soon because of the kid being born. Paternity leave. (laughs)